The text for the sermon this day is taken from Genesis chapter 17, which you heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to take you back to the early 90s, when I was about 12 years old, and me and my family were making a vacation, well specifically, me and my mom. We were going to travel from Fargo, North Dakota, which is where she lived at the time, to Missoula, Montana, which is 1,000 miles, in case you don't know. And so we drove across. North Dakota was about as exciting as any other time, or I should say lack thereof. So it was good nap time. But when you got onto the western part of the state, you saw the beautiful uh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park. And then you went through the foothills, and we made it all, got to see the Rocky Mountains, got to Missoula, Montana, and everything was going nice. We visited my family and some relatives I had there. And then on the last day we were there, we were in rush hour, and my mom's car just shut off. Stopped running for no, we don't know why, it just did. The person behind us got rear-ended, and we were sitting there, my mom was sitting there trying to get the car to start running again. And after a couple tries, it got going, and we got back to the hotel, and so we had to make some arrangements with people from Fargo to try to send some money to us, because we realized we might need some car repairs. Well, this is a case where the United States Postal Service did not succeed. It was supposed, because this is back before you could wire it easily electronically. It had to go through the post office. And so it was supposed to go to Missoula, Montana, but it went to Wolf Point, Montana. For those who don't know, Missoula is on the far west. Wolf Point is in the far northeast. And Montana is the fourth largest state in the country. So it was a very long ways away. And so we had to hit, so what ended up happening is we made an arrangement for the mail, to, for the money to be sent to Billings. And so the next morning we risked it. We took that car and we risked getting to Billings. And everything was going good. And then tell we are on the west side of Butte, on the largest overpass, the largest mountain pass on I-90. And as we were on the way down the mountain, the car shut off again. And this is fortunate where my mom's car was not one of those cars where the steering wheel locks up. And we were also very fortunate that just as that car shut off, there was an emergency service spot right next to the right, right to the, just to the right of us. And so we were able to pull away and park and figure out what to do. And so we sat there wondering, what on earth can we do? A trucker, a trucker cannot stop and help us because they are blazing down that mountain. There is no stopping. And so we sat there, and I guess you could say we were trapped. Felt a little trapped on that mountain, wondering how we are going to make the other 700 miles back to Fargo. 
How many of you have ever felt trapped? So it might be because of a car or a tractor or a computer that's frustrating. You, feel, you have something that needs to be done, you need to go somewhere, but it cannot happen until this starts working. Or in the case, the reason why my, parent, my mom and I were on vacation was because my mom had recently been divorced from my stepdad. And that vacation was a chance to get away from those troubles. How many of you ever, maybe you felt trapped in a marriage, in a relationship that just wasn't going the way you wanted it to be? Maybe you felt trapped when you found the news that you had cancer or some other illness. You felt like you were all by yourself. There was no way out of it. In our text from Genesis, we have Abram, who would later be called Abraham. He was promised, the first time he met God, he was 69 years old. And so at the age of 69, he is being told, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Abram's probably thinking, I don't have a child yet. And my wife is at her, at about 59 years old. And I don't know if you've heard, but 59-year-olds do not have a lot of kids. And yet, when God said this to him, he believed. He trusted but as time began to pass, it kept not happening. They were told that they were supposed to be, he's supposed to be the father of a multitude. But how can that be if he has no son or daughter? His wife is barren. And so as they felt trapped in trying to build this multitude, Sarah comes up with her own idea. She decides to appoint Haggai, the servant. And so she goes and lays with Abraham. And so Abram has, and then so there is the child of Ishmael. So as they were stuck, they were trapped. They tried to come up with their own solution. And as you could imagine, that creates problems. If your only son is from that of, your, of the servant girl, there is going to be trouble between your actual wife and the child and that servant girl. And so because of that resentment, eventually Ishmael and Haggai were sent away and God still told them that there would still be the promise of an offspring that would be born to Abraham, born through Sarah. And when Sarah gets that news, her answer is, she laughs. She laughs at the fact that she will have a child, which is why her child would be called Isaac, which means laughter. So literally Isaac, if any, you know anybody named Isaac, tell them, it's okay to laugh with them because that's what their name means. It means laughter. Well, when he was 99 years old in that text, Genesis 17, he is still being told in verse 5, it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. But do you know what? At the age of 99, Isaac still isn't born. His wife is 89 years old. How many 89-year-olds do you know having children, raising them, feeding them, caring for them, and all that? Well, there's still a child to come. In fact, you have to go all the way to Genesis 19 before you get to the birth of a child. God was faithful. Though Abraham felt trapped, unable to have that child, because in that time, it was very important to have a child. You want to pass on your lineage. And here he is at the age of 99, and he has no child. And yet, he waited upon the Lord. He waited upon the Lord in faith. And when the fullness of time came, God provided a son through Sarah, the son of Isaac. And through the birth of Isaac, God was keeping his promise. The promise he gave to Abraham, the promise he gave to Adam and Eve, so when they fell into sin, they're told that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And this offspring that is promised to Abraham, to Sarah, they use the exact same Hebrew word. This is a continuation of that prophecy. And later, this prophecy would be restated through David. It would be restated to Solomon. It's the entire reason why the... If, I don't know if anybody pays attention to my daily scripture meditation, but right now the readings are going through 2 Kings, which admittedly is some of the most depressing scripture there is, because it ends in the destruction of the southern kingdom. But the reason why the southern kingdom is led into exile and preserved is because in the southern kingdom is the line of Judah. God is keeping his promise he is keeping the promise he made to Adam and Eve, the promise he made to Abraham, the promise he makes through Isaac, the promise he made to David and Solomon. He preserves them. The promise that is fulfilled in the one born of Mary. The season of Advent is a season of waiting, of anticipation for Christ's return. I mean, yes, in the short term, we are anticipating the, the celebration of Christmas. Anticipating the celebration that God sent forth a child born of a woman, born under the law, to become obedient to the law, to redeem those under the law, to redeem you who are under the law. But the season of Advent is about anticipating his final, his return. To bring an end to all strife, to all tribulation. The way we began the service today, if you notice, like part of the church was dark, and just so you know, the the candles are a little bit off right now. It's it's okay. It was kind of confusing the way we were starting the service for our acolytes. But when we started the service, the church was all dark. You all faced towards the back. And there was a single candle lit. 
And what some of you maybe have probably heard me talk about this, because I've done this at New Year's Eve ever since I've been here, is it goes all the way back to the early church, to the first century. In the first century, they did, when they gathered for worship, they did not gather in a big church like this. They gathered in catacombs, they gathered in caves, they gathered in houses, and they didn't gather at the prime time of nine in the morning. They gathered usually about four in the morning, or even earlier than that, when the sun was not yet up. They would gather in pitch black darkness. And the reason they did this is so that way nobody would know where they are meeting, because it was during a time of persecution. And so they gather in the church in that dark. And so many of them are surrounded with the fears and the concerns of the persecution facing the church. Christians were being executed left and right in some of the most gruesome of manners. Imagine watching, walking the streets of your own city and watching the burning bodies of Christians lighting the streets. This was a regular experience, a regular occurrence for these Christians. And the people who were turning them over were their own family members, their own neighbors, their own friends. And so they would stand there in the darkness, afraid. And so at the very back of the church, or this worship space, the priest, the pastor would stand and you'd say those words from John chapter 1. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. Because no matter how dark the church is, you can still see that candle. If I shut off every single light of this church, that candle would still be visible you would still see the light. It was a reminder to them as, that, as they moved forward, and you heard that three times. And then when you came to the front, you heard the hymn, Joyous light of glory of the immortal Father. That, by the way, if you don't know, that is the oldest hymn that we have. It dates back to the first century. It was very likely sung by the apostles themselves. It's called the false Hilleron. They heard that as a reminder that no matter how trapped they may feel in the midst of persecution, no matter how dark their world may be, no matter how much sickness and death and persecution may be coming down on them, crashing down upon them, the light of the world has not been overcome. Jesus Christ is the light who shines in the darkness and no darkness will ever overcome it. See, as we are trapped in this world, we are called to wait patiently because he brings deliverance. He brought deliverance for Abraham. 
He brought deliverance for the people of Israel as they wandered through their land by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He liberated them from slavery in Egypt. He liberated the people of Israel from exile. He liberates you from sin. He liberates you from death. And by liberating you from sin and death, he liberates you from the reality that sickness, poverty, brokenness, all these things that make us trapped will eventually come to an end. Now you might be thinking, well, I know a lot of people that they never, they never get better from cancer. And they have the strongest faith. And I say, oh, they're going to they're get better. They just won't get better right now. It may be that to get better, to make it through the journey, you might have to go through death. Because death is the destination of all of us. And that is the ultimate point where we think we're trapped. Trapped in that coffin. Trapped in that ground. But Jesus came to live, to teach, to preach, to be crucified, to die, to be buried. And on the third day, just as he said would happen, he emerged victorious. So that death and the grave is not an entrapment for those who believe. But it's merely the portal, the gate to everlasting life. He has overcome death. And you overcome death. Now I go back to the story that I began with. Spoiler note, I did get down from that mountain, in case you're wondering. I'm not still up there. And when we drove on the way back and we got to North Dakota, I will say that was the happiest I've ever been to see Welcome to North Dakota on the sign. And when I saw that water tower in West Fargo, knowing we were getting close to where my mom lived, oh boy, was I happy to see Fargo like never before. The mountains were beautiful, but they're not as beautiful when your car is breaking down. And so God led us, and we got to our journey. We went to that joyful place to be in Fargo, which felt joyful at the time. But God will lead us through this life. We are waiting for him. We wait for him in faith, trusting, knowing, believing that he will lead us through whatever this world may bring us, whatever the world may throw at us. He will lead us to our eternal home, where we will be far more joyous than me seeing North Dakota. We will see the everlasting kingdom. We will see the life with no sickness, without death, without broken marriages, without broken families, without the struggling of whether or not we're going to make it by, without fighting with technology, we will live in eternity in bliss because he is faithful to us just as he was to Abram. So wait for the Lord in faith. Wait for him. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.